Hi, Michaela LaFrac here. The podcast you are about to listen to has been edited for clarity and brevity. This is Vermont Edition. I'm Michaela LaFrac. One topic seems to be dominating the conversation at the Vermont State House this session and at many dinner tables across the state. That topic is property taxes. They were expected to rise by an average of nearly 20% next year because of the size of school budget proposals. Lawmakers are now trying to figure out how to keep property taxes from growing so drastically. Right now, they're rewriting the state's education tax laws to induce some districts to go back to the drawing board and cut spending. If this happens, some school budget proposals could be pushed back past town meeting day to later this spring. So that could really change what you see on the ballot on town meeting day on March 5th. Today on the show, we're going to talk about how we got here. We'll speak with the head of Vermont's School Board Association and Vermont's Secretary of State. She's been in conversation with town clerks all across the state who are trying to make sure they are ready for town meeting day, whatever it might bring. But first, to orient us, we are joined by Vermont Public's education reporter, Lola Dufour. She's been following this story's developments closely for us. Lola, welcome. Hey, Michaela. Thanks for being here. Talking more about taxes than I know you already have. This is a complicated one, right? It is really complicated. Uh, we Just in the office, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how we can explain this to people because it is uh, – yeah, just an unbelievably dense system. Yes, but could affect many of our lives in lots of different ways. Now, Lola, you have been very busy these past couple of weeks covering the legislature and this bill that would partially rewrite Vermont's school tax formula. Before we, we get to, to this change, first, what got us to this point? Yeah, so I think it's probably important to say at the outset, and we'll also I'm sure talk about this later. But, you know, um, taxes and the tax formula is not the only reason that we are uh, seeing this increase. There's an incredible inflationary environment at play here that is pushing school spending up. Mm. However, having said that, um, a key culprit, lawmakers believe, um, for this increased spending is a transition mechanism – that they built into Act 127. Um, this was a law that was passed in 2022, and it was a much larger, uh, very important revamping of Vermont's um, education finance formula. Mm. And, you know, this uh, essentially temporary tax break, which was built into this much larger reform effort. Um, There is a concern that this temporary tax break is basically encouraging certain school districts to maximize spending this year and is kind of adding to uh, what what would be kind of natural growth in spending. Twenty twenty two. That's not that long ago. Did did something change to that that caused this? um, You know, everyone's eyes to to pop open this year about it. Uh, 
Well, it's going into effect this year, okay. right? So it was passed in 2022, but this is the actual first year in which it's actually in effect. Okay, so it's going um, into effect and people are like, okay, so this might not work exactly as we, we were hoping. So the Democratic lawmakers are now getting together to work on tweaking it. That's right? Yes, exactly. Okay. And then, and I, the, I th- oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I think it might be uh, helpful to kind of explain you know, what this law was intended to do, because I think that uh, might elucidate where it's kind of breaking down. So, you know, there is this recognition that certain categories of students uh, should cost more to educate. Um, That's low-income students, that's English language learners, uh, that's students in uh, rural settings, right? So, some kids should cost more. And lawmakers actually wanted school districts to spend more on those kids, on higher need kids. But in, um, you know, Vermont has a really uh, interesting education funding scheme in that uh, the state does not decide how much individual school districts spend. Uh, Individual school districts make those decisions by themselves with their voters on town meeting day. But the lever that uh, is available to lawmakers is basically the uh, taxing incentives or disincentives that they build into the school finance formula that pays for the education fund, which pays for uh, the kind of total bill that is approved on town meeting by school districts, right? So the lever that that the state has is, um, you know, how it taxes communities to create incentives to spend or hold the line Mm. Um, when it determines sort of what each community's fair share into the education fund is. Hmm. So Act 127 uh, basically wanted – created incentives for districts um, with those higher need students – to spend more without a commensurate uh, rise in taxes. That was the intent, right? And uh, But kind of the uh, other side of that coin was that districts that were wealthier, less rural, uh, more homogenous, right, that didn't have kids who were learning English, they would experience the opposite effect. They would see their tax rates uh, increase even without big spending jumps. Mm. Now, whenever you have, uh, you know, people who are communities that are going to lose in a big piece of legislation, you usually want to include a some sort of transition mechanism so they can adjust, right? And this transition mechanism is what is kind of creating these problems this year. Um, And it's this kind of – it's this 5 percent cap that lawmakers wrote into this law. So lawmakers said in the first five years of this law's implementation, we are going to cap property rate increases for um, uh, uh, homestead – for homeowners. Um, this doesn't apply to the non-homestead rate. It applies to the mm. homestead rate. And so now there's this concern that because this cap is in effect, um, the school districts that we didn't want to see increase their spending are also increasing their spending more than they would have otherwise uh, because their tax rate is kind of artificially capped. Um and so that is kind of what has brought us here. And lawmakers are 
now considering uh, removing this cap. Mm. And yes, as you said, lawmakers are coming in trying to fix this problem. And specifically, those lawmakers are the the lucky members of the House Ways and Means Committee right now. The the chair, Representative Emily Kornheiser, was on Vermont Edition yesterday. And here's how she characterized the issue. We have this extraordinary system in Vermont where we trust local communities to say how much they need. And then trust that Vermont property taxpayers can pick up that bill. And right now we are experiencing a perfect storm. And I really think it's um, helpful to compare it to the kind of natural disasters that we actually see in a storm, in that we had all of these different things happen at once. We saw a significant increase in healthcare costs. We saw a significant increase in student need right in the aftermath of the pandemic. We saw teachers. Um, we saw a teacher shortage and teachers struggling after working through the pandemic, and so needing higher pay. We've seen the cost of heating schools and school transportation going up, and all of those. And then the cost of school construction going up, and so all of these costs were all increasing simultaneously. And our existing tax system was not necessarily as nimble as it could have been to sort of catch up with it. And so we are spending this session making a series of changes to make sure that Vermonters can continue to fund our schools in a way that works for them. And you can hear uh, Lola... uh, Representative Kornheiser really choosing her words carefully there, I think, in an effort, as we all are, to try to explain this really complicated issue uh, in a way that is accessible to listeners. I really like that, that metaphor of the perfect storm that she brought up, too. That reminds me a lot of the point you were making earlier about all these different pressures on hitting schools right now. Yeah. And so the the point that Emily Kornheiser was making is so important for two reasons. Uh, reasons. One, exactly what you're pointing out, right? So um, schools are genuinely being hit with, frankly, unprecedented inflationary pressures. Um, And second, um, that inflationary environment is actually interacting with that tax break that everyone is so concerned about in very unexpected ways. So when lawmakers uh, created this transition mechanism. You know, they did some modeling to try and figure out what it would look like. But the financial environment that they were modeling this in was dramatically different. This was like 2019. This was pre-pandemic. And so, um, you know, a a tax break, a transition mechanism that should have made sense is now <laughs> uh, interacting in a different financial environment and um, – and is not acting the way that people thought it would. Um, and the the big thing that's happening really is that a lot more school districts ended up kind of availing themselves of the cap than was anticipated because of that inflationary environment. Um, so one kind of analogy that we've been using um, is like, uh, okay, what if you went to the grocery store and they gave you a coupon that said, you know, for this trip only – uh, whatever you buy, we won't charge you more than $100. Now, you know, if inflation wasn't going crazy, you might just be like, well, you know, I'll spend $40 anyways. I don't want to spend $100. But uh, if inflation is crazy and you're going to have to spend $100 to get like just the basics, then the incentives change, right? And all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm going to have to spend $100 anyways, but I can't spend 
I can't be charged more. So I might as well get this week's basics and also like stock the pantry with dry goods, right? And so what has happened is a lot of school districts um, kind of naturally were going to hit the cap, hit the cap, and then thought to themselves, well, our schools are falling apart. Let's park an extra $3 million in the capital reserve fund because, you know, our taxes are going to go up an uncomfortable amount, but then they can't go up even higher. So um, it, it has, like, perversely incentivized even more spending um, in ways that kind of – if you're just looking at your individual school district budget are actually, like, quite financially prudent, right? Um, the problem is the aggregate impact of that. Um, of a bunch of school districts kind of making that decision um, have created this kind of crazy cascading effect and kind of knocked the Ed Fund off balance. Um, And it's had like kind of two really important impacts. A, it's kind of canceled out the benefits for those school districts that were supposed to, you know, we wanted to see spend more without their taxes going up too high. Um, And it's, it's just driven up taxes in general, and because of this cascading effect, there was this concern that like literally every school district in the state was going to hit this cap. And then the only way to relieve that pressure was going to be on the non-homestead rate, right? So imagine if like uh, on average the homestead rate or uh, homestead property tax bills go up 20 percent, but then the non-homestead rate goes up like 25 or 30, mm-hmm. right? Uh, imagine like every landlord, every business owner uh, getting hit with that kind of tax increase. So uh, that is kind of (laughs) where we are sitting or where lawmakers were sitting when they, you know, decided to kind of go back to the drawing board Mm -hmm. and uh, and rewrite at least a portion of of the tax code. Um, And and briefly here, so the the fix that they're proposing is to repeal that 5% 5% cap and replace it with what exactly? Well, it's basically a less generous and much more targeted transition mechanism, right? So they still want to give those school districts that were going to kind of lose out under Act 127 a chance to adjust. But now they're giving them a cent discount um, that is based on the kind of uh, specific tax capacity that they've calculated that they lost under Act 127. Mm. Um, and uh, You know, the goal is basically um, to encourage some school districts to cut spending, right? And the way that they hope this will be achieved with this new transition mechanism is that it's going to basically – the hope is reinsert some logic into the relationship between an individual district's tax – uh, tax rate and mm-hmm. how much they descent, decide to spend during town meeting. Because before with the cap in place, because of this crazy cascading effect, right, how I had talked about how it's knocking the Ed Fund off balance, you were seeing school districts who not only had an incentive to spend more, but it had a disincentive to cut stuff out of their budget because the fund had been sent into like such a weird, bizarro world that school districts were looking at scenarios in which they could cut like two million out of their budget and not see their tax rate decrease, right? So there was no penalty for spending more and there was no rewards for spending less. Mm. 
And this transition mechanism is trying to recreate a reward for spending less um, and a penalty for spending more. Mm. Um, and, of course, I'm oversimplifying in a lot of different ways because this is uh, so dang complicated. <laughs> but that's the, the basic logic at play here. Well, I want to ask you a question that we just got in an email from Steve in Westminster West who says, The local control issue that keeps coming up related to property taxes, to me, is a red herring and a distraction from the inequities and burden the current system imposes on economically vulnerable homeowners all over Vermont. It's too expensive to start a home and it's too expensive to maintain one, especially on a fixed income during our later years. Yesterday's wealth tax discussion on Vermont Edition reminded me, Steve writes, that education funding based on an income tax formula is a much more equitable, is much more equitable and would give homeowners a boost and local municipalities more flexibility. Where is the discussion about this in Montpelier? Lola, have you heard any discussion about an income tax formula for education funding bubbling up again? Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is an issue that uh, has been bouncing around Montpelier basically as long as uh, since the 90s. But um, I I would say, if anything, that uh, discussion has lost steam in Montpelier. I mean, I was talking to Emily Kornheiser about this, who's probably one of the most progressive Uh, Democrats in Montpelier, you know, she told me I used to believe that that was the answer. And then I sat on a big, you know, committee that studied this issue. And now I'm actually less convinced. I I actually do think it's more complicated. That being said, um, I do think that uh, lawmakers are taking a hard look at uh, the uh, often regressive nature of Vermont's property taxes, even though they are income sensitized to a certain extent, right? So, um, you know, I, th- I think that uh, in general, this is a discussion that lawmakers are um, are going to be having, but I, I uh, would be very skeptical that they are uh, going to go for a straight income um, income tax for schools um, anytime soon. Mm. Well, let's get back to this legislation, where it stands now. What What is the timeline here? And when are we going to know what exactly is going on with Town Meeting Day? I mean, that's the, uh, that's the big question, right? Um, it did pass out of House Ways and Means, which was, you know, the, the committee that kind of crafted this. Uh, it has not yet hit the floor um, in the House um, that could definitely happen this week. You know, when lawmakers talk about this, they they say they want to get it done very quickly in a matter of weeks, you know. Um, but uh, we we really won't know until it, it happens, right? Um, so we won't know what's going on with town meeting day until this bill is signed, sealed, and delivered, and it still has to go through the House. It still has to go through the Senate. Um, so, it you know, it could be quite quick, but uh, very much to be determined. Mm. Vermont Public Education reporter Lola Dufour, I hope soon that you will be able to go back to talking to some kids in schools and not just about taxes. So we are very grateful for your expertise on this subject. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Well, to talk us through the town meeting day element of this story, we are joined from Montpelier by Vermont's Secretary of State, Sarah Copeland Hansis. Her office manages voter registration and election procedures, among many other things. Secretary Copeland Hansis, welcome back to the program. 
Thank you so much, Michaela. And listeners, of course, you can join this conversation as well. Do you have questions about how Town Meeting Day is going to work or broader election-related questions for the Secretary of State? Give us a call. Our number is 800-639-2211 or send an email to vermontedition at vermontpublic.org. Now, first, uh, Secretary, before we get into this big to-do over school budgets. Let's talk more broadly about Town Meeting Day. It's in three weeks, and it's a big one because it's not just local issues that people are going to be voting on. What what elections are coming up? So on uh, on the weekend of uh, Town Meeting, uh, leading up to Town Meeting Day, uh, depending on the, which community you live in, you might be taking a, a floor vote on a Saturday um, and then coming back again on a Tuesday for a ballot vote. Um, and in addition to voting on your local municipal issues and some communities voting on their school budgets, um, we all have the opportunity to participate in the presidential primary this year. And so um, that will bring, I think, a lot more uh, traffic, a lot more folks out to the polls to express their preference on the presidential primary. And so it's going to be a busy couple of days coming up. Yeah, and and for somebody who maybe is is new to Vermont, hasn't voted on town meeting day before, what types of things are usually on uh, local ballots? So for communities who are doing their town meeting by Australian ballot, you can see, you know, articles that range from, uh, you know, shall we support the visiting nurses or shall we appropriate to our local teen center? Um, you can see... Uh, you can see questions about who your next select board or city council will be. Um, you'll see an overall budget number um, and oftentimes uh, an opportunity to adopt the the date and, and means by which your community will collect those local property taxes. Mm. Wow. Well, speaking of taxes, some lawmakers are rewriting the state's education tax laws, which means that some school budget votes could be postponed until later in the spring. Now, you are charged with guaranteeing fair and equal elections throughout the state of Vermont. What is your role exactly in implementing these possible changes? So for us, it, it's really important that we have clarity on uh, with a timeline of what's coming out of the legislature so that we can give good advice to our local town and city clerks. Um, many school districts um, have a, a relationship with a municipal clerk in order to help conduct that school district's elections. Some school districts um, have their own school district clerk, but... Uh, overall, you know, elections that are conducted in Vermont are led by our uh, town and city clerks. And so it's really important for us to give them advice on what to do if, for instance, they already have ballots that are out in the hands of voters. Um, what do they do if they receive those ballots back in? There are what, a lot what, of decisions. What do they do? <laughs> what well, do they do? That seems um, complicated. Uh, yes. No, it is. You know, I, I wanted to say that this was a curveball, but um, it's a little more than a curveball. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So it it really depends on what the school district decides to do, because the school district is probably voting on uh, more than just their budget. They're probably electing um, school board members as well. And so any individual school district board might vote to uh, might decide to go forward with their um, election of officers, but delay the vote on the budget so that they can rewarn and recalculate based on what's coming out of the legislature. So um, our municipal clerks who are trying to prepare to conduct these elections really have to wait and see what they what the school district plans to do in order to know whether they're printing a whole new ballot, uh, whether they're conducting a whole new election on another day. Um, if ballots are already out in the hands of voters and the school district wants to delay only the budget vote, um, then voters can go ahead and return the rest of that ballot. And uh, the the clerks will simply disregard the results of the budget vote. Um, mm. So even if somebody filled out that budget vote um, and it's going right. to be changed, they would, they just wouldn't count it and ask that's them to right. vote on it later. Okay. Yeah. And I would just recommend to folks that if you have uncertainty about what your school district is doing and whether the ballot you have in hand is the one that you should be returning, uh, just give your municipal clerk a call. Mm. Uh, chances are she or he will know um, what what to expect and we'll be able to give folks advice on on whether to return that school district ballot or whether they'll receive a new one. Mm, maybe bring them some cookies or a scented candle while you're at it. <laughs> they, I think indeed. they probably need it. <laughs> well, let's add one more voice to the conversation here. We also have with us today Sue Siglowski. She's the executive director of the Vermont School Board Association, and they have been closely involved in these discussions about how schools create budgets and whether communities will pass them. Sue, welcome. Thank you, Michaela. I'm happy to be here. Well, Sue, what have your past couple weeks been like? How, how did we get to this moment? Well, the past couple of weeks have definitely been challenging for school board members. And I think that um, challenge is not quite over yet. They're going to be working um, in the coming days to decide whether they're going to uh, delay their vote on their budget or possibly their entire annual meeting or whether they'll just go forward as usual on town meeting day, if that's when they normally hold their vote. Mm. And how many uh, how many school boards are in the association? How many like different groups are you a liaison with right now? There are 122 school districts in Vermont. Districts, so 122 me. school boards. And and do you believe that the the five percent cap that we were talking about with Lola earlier in today's show did indeed lead some districts to increase their budgets? I think that there are some districts that looked at the five percent cap and considered their circumstances, the needs of their district, um, possibly looking at uh, facilities needs that have gone unfunded for several years because of lack of con school construction aid, things like that, and uh, may have added some um, items to their budget uh, based on that. And they may be going back now and taking a, a second look at that. Mm. Well, we, we're getting some calls coming in. And listeners, if you have questions, we have with us the head of the, the executive director of the Vermont School Board Association, Sue Siglowski, as well as Sarah Copeland-Hansis, Vermont's Secretary of State. Let's start with Elizabeth in Norwich. Elizabeth, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, I've heard mention of the income sensitivity in the past comments and that it really wasn't going to be addressed now. And mm. 
it's just really become a joke. It's not it have any. It's not kept pace with inflation, of real estate values, or the level of taxation. And to the point that in our town, um, we will be looking at paying twenty percent of our income on property taxes. It's going up 40% in our town. And you talk to anyone around, and we all are literally thinking of moving. How could we, we can't possibly pay that? And um, so I just, you know, say a wealthy district, but that doesn't mean everyone is wealthy. And I think it's really irresponsible and inconsiderate of the legislature to hastily put something out there that hasn't been thought through and is going to upend our lives. Mm. Elizabeth, thank you for that call. Uh, Sue, I'm wondering what your your thoughts are there. Elizabeth, again, was calling from Norwich. Well, that is certainly a valid concern, and that's one of the reasons why uh, we have asked the legislature to do everything that it possibly can to reduce the property tax challenges. This would necessitate finding some additional non-property tax revenues for the next fiscal year, and we certainly believe there's a compelling case for increasing uh, revenues to the education fund in order to offset uh, property taxes this year. Hmm. Well, let's go back to the phones. We have a call from Jim Carroll in Bennington. I believe that's Representative Jim Carroll. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Um, Madam Secretary, I have a question for you. Go ahead. Um, with respect to uh, delaying the vote uh, for a school budget, when we, you know ballots have already been printed and been sent out, can we, through a floor vote, uh, postpone um, the vote on the budget? Secretary? So I think we would be looking back to Act 1 of 2023, uh, which, as you recall, was the extension of COVID flexibilities that were put in place uh, during 2020 to give all of the flexibilities that school districts or municipalities might need. Um, in order to not force people to gather in an in-person meeting in order to conduct their business. Um, so the provisions of Act 1 allow the legislative body, so either uh, in this case the school board, uh, or if a select board wanted to delay town meeting, they still have the ability to under Act 1 of 2023. So in this case, it would not be the floor voters um, at a at a school district meeting who would be making that decision, it would be the legislative body. That was Representative Jim Carroll, a Democrat calling from Bennington. Thanks for your call. Uh, we also have Robert and Bethel on the line. Robert, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Michaela, thank you. This is a great conversation that we all should listen to. And Madam Secretary, I'm happy that you're joining us. Uh, Rick, your uh, phone answering guy asked me, what are my two most important uh, issues. And I think Vermonters need to understand that 85% of your property taxes go directly to your supervisory unions. So I think the school boards should be taken out of the equation. It, it happens at a much higher level with the supervisory unions. Right now, there are 54 supervisory unions in Vermont, and we're paying for all that infrastructure. And uh, the, the caller, the female caller before your last caller, uh, mentioned a great reason to have to, to actually force yourself to leave Vermont. It's the property taxes, and our per student rate in the country 
is at $27,000 per student. And um, it, it's the, it, and our, our rating nationally is about 40, we're like 45th in the country. So we're not getting the punch for our dollar, and we're all struggling. Tomorrow is tax day in Bethel, and I have to pay 85% to the school supervisor union directly. Hmm. I'm going to jump in here, Robert, because I would love for Sue Siglowski with the Vermont School Board Association to address your concern. Uh, Robert here said schools um, need to reduce costs. Uh, Sue, what are the costs that's, that schools are facing that are, are causing these these increases? Well, there are some significant um, inflationary pressures that are happening to schools right now that are, um, as everyone knows, affecting society as a whole. We also have a worker shortage that's impacting employers statewide and causing an increase in salaries. There are significant increases in health insurance costs. And added to that is the role that schools have taken on in helping students um, who have increasing mental health needs. Um, the fact that our over 60% of our school buildings are approaching the end of their useful life. Uh, and Vermont has had no school construction aid for the past almost two decades. Um, we also have that uh, each year the General Assembly imposes new obligations for schools that often will have cost implications at the local level. And finally, um, the federal pandemic funds are going away this year. And um, we're, all, we're seeing that many of the detrimental effects of the COVID pandemic have remained, causing some districts to retain some of the federally f- funded positions in order to contend with those. Mm. Can you, so can that's you explain a that a little, a little bit more? Uh, because I wanted to ask you about the, those pandemic funds that came in from the federal government uh, led to more spending in schools. Uh, and there are some expenses, as you just said, that have remained on school budgets post-pandemic and post-pandemic funds. Um, can you tell us a little more about that? Yes. Um, the federal pandemic funds were used in um, different ways by schools. Some districts used them um, for one-time expenses, such as um, HVAC updates, and others used them to um, add staff to address student needs. Oftentimes, it was a combination of um, uses. And uh, the student needs that were that schools were looking to address range from helping students um, who had some um, needed some learning recovery in areas such as literacy and math, so specialists in those areas, and also um, specialists to help students with mental health needs. I think are the biggest uses of those of those funds. Mm. Secretary of State Sarah Copeland-Hansis, this is clearly, as you've outlined, a very busy town meeting day season, not just because of these changes that are going on, but because we have a presidential primary coming up as well and other elections this year. And earlier last month, your office's longtime director of elections stepped down. He, he was the head of the elections division there for a decade. I'm curious how that transition um, is, is going and have you made progress on, on hiring a replacement? So I, I would say that the transition is um, is going as well as it can. I, I'm not going to say that um, that having Will Sunning move on was um, was an easy transition, but um, we have a really great team at the Secretary of State's office. Um, a lot of folks who have been in their positions for a long time, 
and have solid relationships with uh, the municipal clerks across the state. And so with a little bit of internal reshuffling and a lot of planning, because we did have several weeks to um, to plan for Will's departure, we feel like we're doing okay. And, um, you know, we know that for this upcoming election, it's really the, the town and city clerks who do the lion's share of uh, the hard work out there. And we are here as a support system for them. And there are a couple other unique aspects to this year's elections, um, not just these potentially shifting ballots because of the the school budget question. Uh, 16 and 17-year-old votes, uh, 17-year-olds can now vote in Brattleboro, and Burlington residents who are not U.S. citizens can now vote on local issues, joining Winooski and Montpelier. Uh, how, how are those changes being handled? Have you been in contact with, the, has your office been in contact with, with the clerks in in those cities? We have. In fact, I I was in Brattleboro yesterday and had a a great meeting with Brattleboro High School students, um, along with uh, Hillary Francis, the the town clerk in Brattleboro, and our representative, Becca Ballant. It was a fabulous conversation. Um, and, And the point of the conversation and our message to those students is, we want you to vote, and here's how you do it. And so... Um, there's one other uh, one other aspect of that that I want to really point out because it co- it uh, touches everyone statewide, and that is if you are 17 now and you will be 18 by the November 5th general election, you are eligible to vote in the presidential primary coming up on March 5th. And so I would encourage any young person who will be 18 by November of this year. Uh, to reach out to their town clerk, um, get themselves uh, on the voter registration list, and uh, request your ballot. Right. Well, let's get back to this issue of the school budgets and how they could change the ballots on town meeting day. We have a call coming in from Jody in Dummerston. Jody, you're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, I'm from Dummerston, Vermont. Um, a couple of things. Sue Skolowski really said most of what I, a lot of what I had to say. But however, one of the things that Sue said was that schools took on all these extra uh, social issues. I don't believe the schools, that, that wasn't willing. The schools had to take this on. And they are issues that should be under the general fund and not in the education fund. And that's part of the whole problem, um, as well as the health care. The other part of the problem, as I see it, is the state making all these laws that the school has to do, plus the Agency of Education and Board of Education. There's too many fingers in the pie, and they're not letting the, the towns decide what they wanted to do for their towns. The one thing that I did want to um, put out there is consolidation was supposed to save money plus other things, but there's never been a follow-up to see if they are actually saving anything. I personally do not believe they are saying saving. I personally believe that the closer to your your chest and budget your budget is, the better it is for the towns because you get a better look. Our budget down here in the Brattleboro area is like $65 million. And I can't tell you how many pages I have in front of me of the budget, but it's impossible to follow. It's impossible to know where things are really going and I wish the state would take another look at what happened. Mm. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Jody. And I, I'd love to ask Sue Siglowski about that, that point around can school, school, 
school consolidation, excuse me, that you just brought up. Now, as many folks know, some schools in Vermont have seen declining student enrollment, and there's been talk of closing or consolidating some schools to save money in part. Sue, what do you think is the best way to to handle these schools that are dwindling in size? And to Jody's point, has there been proof that these consolidation efforts have really saved districts money? I believe there was supposed to be a report about that I um, done by the Agency of Education. I don't think that has been done. Um, as you know, we have been without a secretary of education for almost a year now. Um, so that is definitely a concern. Um, some of the points that were raised by Jody are um, very true. The The bulk of a, a school board budget, 80 to 90 percent, is based on um, salaries and benefits. And so um, the, the impact... Um, in order to be able to reduce costs um, has to be made in either adjusting staffing ratios or um, some other way that you're addressing the the number of staff that are serving all of the students in Vermont. Mm. Well, let's go to another caller from Plainfield, Andrea, who I think has a a perhaps similar point on this topic. Andrea, go ahead. You're on the air. Yes, good, good afternoon. It's Andrea from Plainfield. Um, I am, as you might hear on my accent, not um, Native American, but I'm not a citizen. But I became a teacher in Germany first, then taught on a German school overseas in South America, and uh, came to America to check out the alternative schools and fell in love with many aspects of the American life. But I find the school system a very frustrating in many ways. I raised four daughters here in Plainfield. And uh, three of them did really well. Um, One had a really hard time, and I had to homeschool her for many, many years because she has autism and epilepsy. And I found that the administrative part of the American school system is not educationally prepared enough to deal with the inclusion of special needs kids and highly overpaid. So, for example, in Germany, just in case... um, one wants to look a little over the fence and see what neighbors are doing over the ocean on the other side and why their school systems are so much more better in their results. Better for teachers, they get much higher salaries. Better for student output, Mm. they have much better grades and they go many less hours to school, actually. They all go home for lunchtime and they stay home. And so we are having um, the sports, for example, in private clubs in the afternoon, not Mm. all involved in the school as well. And our administrators are secretaries, and that's it. There Mm. are no highly paid principals or supervisors at all. Andrew, I'm going to hop in here because I'd love for for uh, Sue to comment. Um, Sue, it sounds like Andrea is comparing some of what's going on in the U.S. education system to what's happening in her home country of Germany. And one difference she points out is the the um, the wages of administrators and um, other top earners at schools and in the school district. Do you see that as a place that some schools could could cut? 
Well, as I mentioned earlier, um, 80 to 90 percent of a school board's budget is in um, salaries and in um, benefits. So that is um, one place that a school board will look in um, adjusting staffing ratios. And each individual school board would need to look at their um, their own individual situation to see what would be appropriate. Well, thank you, Andrea, for your call. Uh, Secretary of State Sarah Copeland Hansis, um, as, as we've, we've discussed in this program, there's a lot of change going on right now as the, the clock to town meeting day uh, ticks down. Could you reiterate again for, for folks who have been listening and are like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be voting on on town meeting day. What if I already have my ballot and I voted on the school budget and my neighbor in the town over is, is saying something totally different? Uh, what, where should people go for information if they are confused? So for information on your local voting issues, I would recommend reaching out to your municipal clerk. Um, chances are uh, the clerk has been in contact with your school district and, and knows what the plan is uh, in terms of whether your district is planning to revote the entire ballot or just the budget articles of the ballot. Um, by reaching out to your town or city clerk, you can also request your presidential primary ballot. Um, and you can request any of those local ballots to be mailed to you as well. And so um, I, I think those are your those are your go to people for um, all things voting on uh, town meeting day in March. And Secretary, any any broader concerns about election integrity, especially as we are, are talking right now about um, semi last minute changes to to ballots and and the the different ballots that different individuals in a, a town uh, might receive, or is this this is kind of what you all are set up and prepared to handle? Well, you know, there's always the complicating factor of voter confusion, right? We don't want voters to decide not to participate because they don't understand how to participate. We also don't want people to mistakenly think they have already voted uh, by returning a ballot if the school district has uh, decided to rewarn the entirety of that ballot. And so, you know, in the recommendations that that we joined with the school boards association and the superintendents association to send out to school districts, we said, please communicate with your voters. Please be as proactive as you can. And um, the legislature has said in the course of passage of H850 that um, that districts will be able to be reimbursed for the costs of uh, of doing that voting voter outreach. And then briefly, uh, before we to wrap up, Sue Siglossi, do you have a sense of how many school boards are in favor of delaying their budget vote this year? I don't have any numbers. I think it's really playing out um, a lot this week, mm. Michaela. Um, so I just would say we're all in this together. Um, Vermonters value their schools as a vital piece of the fabric of our Vermont communities, and I would encourage listeners to stay engaged with their local school officials who will be communicating about how it's playing out at the local level. Well, Vermont School Board Association Executive Director Sue Siglowski and Secretary of State Sarah Copeland-Hansis, thanks to you both for joining us this hour. Thanks for having us on. Thank you.